Uh, we are in the Gospel of Luke, like I said, chapter 13. Every fall semester, this ministry is in the New Testament. And last fall, we covered the first 12 chapters of Luke. And this fall, we're going to finish out the Gospel of Luke. We're going to start in chapter 13 here, get all the way through the end, the death and resurrection of Christ. And we're not going through it verse by verse, every single verse. What we're doing is I'm encouraging you to read the next chapter every week. And I'm going to pick a section out of that chapter, and we're going to preach through that verse by verse. So, if you want to know what we're preaching next week, read Luke 14. Read that chapter. Read it every day. Get familiar with it. And then when we gather together, we'll preach through a part of Luke 14. But for tonight, we're in chapter 13, and we're in verses 22 to 30. Verses 22 to 30, if you have an ESV, you'll see it says the narrow door. CSB says the narrow way. I'm going to read it. Starting in verse 22. Talking of Jesus, it says, He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be a few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. So in this part of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is traveling towards Jerusalem. That starts in Luke 9, actually, and Luke begins this motive of Jesus traveling towards Jerusalem. And the motive he's setting up is that Jesus is on this consistent and constant journey to be arrested, beaten, and killed. And he's beginning to to Uh, allude to it right now and we see that as he's heading towards Jerusalem he's teaching in various towns and villages and particularly Jesus is teaching to the Jews that's his main audience in this time is is that he's teaching to the Jews and he's telling them that the kingdom of God is at hand and they need to repent and they need to be saved that's who this passage is actually directed towards immediately is towards the Jews, like Jesus is traveling, and it says there in verse 23, someone asked him, Lord, will those saved be a few? Now, this was actually a, a pretty common question asked of rabbis in that time, like in Jesus' day. In fact, it was an ongoing debate between some of the more famous rabbis that existed in Jesus' time, because some Jews believed that no matter what, all Jews were going to be saved, right? All Jews would see the kingdom of God and all Jews would enter into heaven. Because if you were a Jew, you were a Jew no matter what your actions were. Other Jews believed that only a select few were going to be saved. The most righteous, the ones that abided by the law the best, the ones who found favor with God. And so there's this great debate going on in the time of Jesus. And someone approaches Jesus and asks this question. And this person is most likely a Jew. One, because of how they address Jesus. They say, Lord. Lord, the Greek word is kyrios, and it's, it's a term that is given when you respect somebody's teachings. It's actually what the disciples called Jesus the most. They called him 
Lord. It was how they respected him. And so not only does this person speak with that kind of respect to Jesus, but also Jesus includes them when he says you. Like if you're reading verses 25 through 30, he says you quite often. And, and he's speaking back to this person, but he's also speaking about the Jews. So this person is a Jew, most likely, and he asks this common theological question, essentially the way we'd word it now. How many are going to be saved? Is it going to be just a few? Or is it like, will a lot of people be saved? Like, how many are going to be saved in Jesus, in true Jesus fashion? He doesn't answer the question. At least not the way we think he's going to, right? He doesn't answer a theological question, but instead he starts with a heart application. And he answers with this, this command, this thing to do. And it's actually sort of a, a scary command because, because what he says is, uh, the number of Jews doesn't matter. That's not what he's concerning himself with. The number of Jews doesn't matter because it's what you do that saves you. It's what you do that, that saves you. And, and then he goes on and says, and what you're doing, it's not good enough. What you're doing is not good enough. Actually, that's why this, this message is titled Not Good Enough. Because guys, the message that Jesus preached to the Jews back then is still the message that Jesus preaches to us today. And I think it's important to talk about because we as a culture, like we're caught up with who's going to be saved. Like we wonder about this all the time. Like we wonder if, if like people from certain denominations are going to be saved. Like people define their relationships on whether or not you accept whether or not they can be loved by God, right? Like we're talking about all the groups people segment themselves into. Like people want to know if like good works will bring you salvation. People want to make sure that you accept their beliefs and that you still say they're going to be saved even if they're given into certain sins. Like people that just live good lives. Like we concern ourselves with not only wanting to be saved, but making sure that no one excludes us out of those types of conversations. Like, we are people who would ask that kind of question. You just got to think about, what are some of the common questions right now? What are the things that have divided the church as of late? Let's go to the last 20 years. We could ask, Lord, will this denomination be saved if they allow these type of people to preach? If they allow these type of people to be married? Could they be saved? Or will it just be our denominations? Or will it be just the ones that preach the certain type of Bible? We concern ourselves with these things a lot, but Jesus actually turns it around and evaluates if you are saved. The heart that he gets to is evaluate if you are saved. And what I mean by saved is the like classic and biblical definition of there's a heaven, there's a hell. There's a heaven and a hell. There's a place of paradise with God and glory. And there is a place of eternal damnation with weeping and gnashing of teeth. Like those things exist. And the point of this passage tonight is that Jesus is revealing that there are people who think they are saved. There are people who think they will be saved. And they won't be. And someday it's going to be too late for them. Just like it's possible and probable that there are some of us in this room right now who think we are going to be saved. Because of the way we've acted, because of the things that we say we believe. But we should acknowledge that the Jews themselves, God's chosen people, thought they were going to be saved. 
And Jesus says, actually, not all of you will be. And so too for us. That we could believe that maybe some of us would be saved and actually we're not going to be. And the warning here is, do something about it before it's too late. You don't change it now if you don't understand that now. If you don't submit to the truth and understand what is good enough. Because we're about to go through the things that are not good enough. And someday it's going to be too late. So that's what I'm doing tonight. I'm telling you through this passage what isn't good enough to save you. What will not bring you salvation. And then at the end, I'm going to tell you what is good enough to save you. I'm going to tell you what would bring you to the kingdom of God. To feast at the table of the Lord. And I'm even going to give you an opportunity to do that. To come before him and do that. So let's just, let's just get right into it. Here's the first one. What we see in this passage is that desire isn't good enough to save you. Desire isn't good enough to save you. Meaning like just because you want to be saved doesn't mean you're going to be saved. Like look back at the text. Verse 24. Right there. The question is asked. And then Jesus says, strive to enter the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able They will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door. And you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know you. Do not know where you come from. So there will be those that it says they seek to enter. That means they want to enter. They want to be saved or at least they say they do. Right? With their lips, they say that they want to be saved, but a day is going to come when the door shut and they're not able to be. Whether because the door is the ending of their life, like death, maybe that's the door that is shut. Their life is ended and they no longer have that chance. Or maybe it's the, the final day of judgment. Like if you've been coming here on the weekends, we're going through Revelation. Like some of the stuff we're talking about, like maybe it's the final day of judgment and now it's too late. And that door is closed on them as well. But, but either way, we see there is a group of people that exist, that will seek to enter and will plead with God to let them in. And they will say that they were saved. What we see there in verse 27, that they were actually workers of evil. And what that means is that their life was characterized by ungodliness. That they were unrighteous and were never made righteous by Christ. But here in this verse, we we learn something. We learn something really important. By seeing that there are those who will say they want to be saved but won't be, this is how we learn that just desiring salvation is not enough. Just saying you want to be saved is not enough. Just wanting it is not good enough. See, those people who are knocking and calling him Lord. Do you see that? Like they're knocking and they say, Lord, open to us. So just they're acknowledging him as the Lord of the house. They're acknowledging him as their Lord with their mouth. And yet that is not alone good enough to save him. Like no one who has an actual right mind on them, no one who would actually take hell seriously would ever say they want to go there, right? Like I I went to St. Ambrose a couple days ago. And, and, you know, we were at the fair, like, trying to recruit people and try to bring them here. And I would bet that if I walked around with a microphone and I interviewed people, 
And I said, excuse me, sir, excuse me, miss. Would you prefer to go to heaven or hell? How many people who have any kind of actual understanding of what hell is would say they desire it? I would bet that the answer is almost always they want to go to heaven. Or they'll take the alternative and just not believe hell exists to avoid that part of it, right? But my, my point is, many are going to say they want to be saved. And at the heart of our culture, we'll say we want to be saved. In fact, that's why we try so hard to make sure that anybody can be saved with our, our words and acceptance and tolerance. And, but Jesus says not everyone will be. In fact, he calls the door to salvation a narrow door, right? That's the whole point of this passage. Like, if you look at um, what we put in to describe it, it says the narrow door. Narrow as in a small space. Like, guys, as much as many of us would want to hop in my car right now and go get Whitey's ice cream. Actually, raise your hand if you would, like, totally love to get Whitey's ice cream tonight at some point. Just give it a, okay. Yeah, so there's enough that raise their hands that I was like, hey, let's go hop in my car. Let's go do this good thing and get Whitey's. There's enough that we all would not fit my Chevy Traverse. Now, don't even say bet, okay? Like, there is, there is a point in which we would not all fit in my Chevy Traverse. Eventually, it'd be too narrow. It'd be too small. It'd be too hard to take everyone. Now, I'm not saying heaven is full, but I'm just trying to make the point that there is a narrow path and a narrow way. And desire is not good enough to take you there. Right? So desire is not good enough. What about the second thing? The second thing is that church isn't good enough to save you either. Desire alone is not good enough to save you. And church is not good enough to save you. Look back at verses 26 and 27. He says, Then you will say, We ate... And drank in your presence. And you taught in our streets. But, but he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. So, it's not just that these people, de- like, it's not just that these people desired salvation. That's just like the first step, right? It's not just that they wanted it. It's that they think they've done enough to be saved. Like, they turn and they plead to Jesus and they say, we ate And we drank in your presence. Like, Lord, we communed with you. We dined with you. We reclined at table with you. Like, Jesus, we knew you. And they say, like, Lord, you taught in our streets. Like, we were there. We heard your word. We heard your teachings. We were present for your teachings. Like, these things, Lord, we did. So open the door. Because we were there for all of it. Open the door. And Jesus says... I don't know you. I don't know where you come from. But you're not mine. Depart from me. Like leave me, he says. So you may say that you dined with me, but you're actually workers of evil. Like these are heavy hitting words to the Jews. Especially... The Jews that are like literally and physically there with Jesus. Like those that physically stood with him, physically dined with him, and they literally heard him preach in their streets. Like these are hard words for them, but loved ones, they're still hard words for us too. 
Because Jesus is still doing these things. Like the church of Christ is still eating and drinking in the presence of the Lord. Actually, that's, that's what we call communion. Communion is called the Lord's table for a reason. It's coming to the Lord's table. It's partaking in the Last Supper and the New Covenant. It's breaking the, the bread together as the body, drinking the cup together as the blood. It is the way that you right now can currently commune in the presence of God. That is what we call it. Eating and drinking in the presence of the Lord is to take communion as the church and the body of Christ. But, but not only that, like Christ is still teaching. Like the body of Christ is still preaching the words in the streets. At least a Bible preaching church is, right? Bible preaching people are. Like, and that's how this applies for us today. Is that not only will there be Jews who could literally make the claim... That they knew Jesus and he shuts the door on them. But there will be those of us today outside the door pleading with him. Lord, I went to church. Lord, I, I heard your word preached every single Sunday. I was present for it. I was there. Like I, I took part of communion. I got baptized. I was in your presence and I was under your word and under your teaching. Like I watched a man open up the Bible every single week and I listened to it. And yet Jesus will say, depart from me. You're actually a worker of evil. Your life is actually characterized by ungodliness. I guess it's a big deal, right? Those things, they're not good enough to save you. Just wanting it is not good enough to bring you salvation. Just going to church and participating in these things is not good enough to save you. And in that same vein, the last, the last point for tonight as far as what's not good enough to save you is, is culture. Culture isn't good enough to save you either. Now, now when I say culture, I need to define this just so you know what I'm saying. When I say culture, I mean the customs and social institutions in which you were raised. That's all I mean, right? That can be impacted through race, religion, the state you grew up in, the country you lived in, right? That can be influenced by your language. Like there's lots of things that can influence culture. But what I just mean is that the way you were raised and the things you were raised in are not good enough to save you. Look back at verse 28. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. So Jesus goes on to define the terrible place, right? We've been talking about heaven and hell. Like he defines that the terrible place is weeping and gnashing of teeth, which like side note, if you're wondering what the gnashing of teeth means, it's like this grating, grinding that happens with your teeth when you're in extreme anguish or pain. Like just think like if you hit your thumb with a hammer, like your immediate response, uh, well, one of the immediate responses is you're going to clench your teeth, right? Like, like that. Like that's the idea of what gnashing of teeth is. It's this clenching and grinding. And it's meant to be symbolism that promotes anguish and terror and distress. Like that's the, that's the comment of gnashing of teeth. So like Jesus is saying, like there's this place, there's gnashing of teeth, and it's terrible emotional and physical distress, and Jesus says that the people who find themselves in this terrible place, like they're going to be able to see their ancestors. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, like 
Those are the ones that knew God, that God had covenant and relationship with. Those are the ones that knew God and loved him. And there are going to be people who were raised as Jews, who were raised in the Jewish tradition, and yet they themselves will not be joining Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the house. And the same is true for us. Like Some of you, maybe many of you, have, have been raised by godly parents. Maybe they took you to church, read the Bible, prayed for you. Some, some of you or many of you have parents who authentically believe but their faith is not good enough to save you. The culture you are raised in and, and the people that raised you in that culture, that's not going to bring you salvation. Like your parents' faith, your friends' faith, your mentors' faith, like it's not your faith. And like no matter how much they try to save you and no, no matter how much you try to appease them in the ways that they have raised you, it's not going to be good enough because you yourself could be cast out. But you don't have to be. That's the blessing of the last few verses here. Like you, you don't have to be cast out. Look back at verse 29. What does it say? It says, And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some who are last will be first and some who are first will be last. Like this is Jesus saying that all types of people can and will be saved. Not just Jews, but people from any country and race and nationality and language. It's, it, it's, one, of, it's one of the reasons why we pray for unreached people groups because we have a sincere belief that they have a spot at the table and that God wants every nation, tribe, and tongue to be a part of that. But that includes you. Jesus is talking to the Jews and he's telling them, people from all over are going to come to my kingdom and even those who are thought to be last could be first. In a Jewish culture, that's saying the Gentiles. The last peoples, the Gentiles, the non-Jews could be made first. That when it comes to the kingdom of God, when it comes to salvation, that the Gentiles, that's most of us, unless I guess you're, you're Jewish, but that's most of us, have just as much chance to be saved as the Jews did. Now if you, you take notes in your Bible, if that's you, then like these last two verses would be like a really great place to write, like this is how I know that I can be saved too, right? This is how I know it's not just for the Jews. Like this is one of those great passages that it could be you. You can be saved. You can know God and you can have a rightful place in his kingdom. And you can have a life. You can have a life filled with the joy of being in the presence of God. You can have a life filled with, with holy content. Think about those words. Holy content and purpose. Like true purpose like to fit into God's plan purpose like you can have all those things instead of living a life filled with the things that are never going to satisfy you getting a degree and chasing after things that are never going to fill you the way that God can fill you you can have that instead of living a life that's displeasing to God and is evil in his sight I mean he called them workers of evil that's what he's saying that they're evil in his sight. You can have a life that leads to feasting at the table. 
rather than begging at the door. But just wanting it won't get you there. Just coming to church and saying prayers and listening to someone preach and taking communion, that's not going to get you there. Just relying on the ways you were raised and being a good person and doing good things and finding happiness and being true to yourself, that's not going to get you there. Those aren't good enough. They're not good enough. I like, I've said that enough times tonight, right? So what is? It's the Sunday school answer, but it's the true answer. And it's the one that we need to come back to every single week when we gather. What is good enough to save you? It's more like who is good enough, right? Jesus is good enough to save you. Look back at the beginning of our passage and how does Jesus start that response? Let's just remind ourselves of it. He says, strive to enter the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and not be able to. So Jesus tells them, like, this is what you do. You strive to enter the narrow door. But this isn't the only way and only time Jesus speaks like this. So this is going to be on the screen. This is Matthew seven fourteen. Jesus, once again, talking about salvation, says, For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Do you see the correlation there? Like, the gate is narrow, the way is hard. Like, it's the same thing. He's describing the same thing. A narrow gate and a hard way. It's difficult until we realize what Jesus also said about the way. This is John 14, 1 through 6. It's also on the screen. It says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. This is Jesus speaking. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way that I am going. Does this sound familiar? God's house, the Father's house, the Father's kingdom, and his table, and feasting. And Thomas, the disciple, says to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can you say we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Guys, the, the way to God's kingdom the way to his house, the way to the table of feasting is the way, as in Jesus. Those people begging at the door, knocking, pleading with the Lord because of the things they had done and the things they thought they belonged to, the thing they needed, the thing that was good enough was Jesus. Jesus is the only good thing. Jesus is how you strive to enter the narrow way. And many of you may have walked in here thinking or even, even living like your deeds and your actions and your church and the way you were raised and your desires and, and any other things. Like you might have walked in here thinking and acting like they were going to save you. But I, I, I tell you, they won't. God tells you they won't. That's a, that's a promise. That's a certainty. But I know I don't need to, to drive this much further because I, I know. 
I know that the Father may be calling some of you to him right now. I know that he might be stirring your soul to have you enter the, the narrow door. And I, and I know some of you might be asking, okay, like I think I get it. I think the Lord has opened my eyes to this. I think I'm beginning to see it, but how? How do I do it? And that's what I'm going to tell you with this last point. And, and I, I highly encourage you to set aside all pretenses, all thoughts of where you have been, and think about where you are right now. And loved ones, if you're in a spot that you are assured of your salvation, if you know that you know Jesus, then I want to encourage you to lean in and remember these things to share it with somebody else. But how do you know if you are saved? Romans 10.9. Coming up on the screen. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a promise. Like in my Bible, I write P's next to promises. That's a promise. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. Like understanding salvation is simple. Like the facts are, are simple, but the way is hard. So if that's you, if, you, if you'd like to give your life over to Christ, if you want to partake in the way and you've never done that before, I'd like to help you understand that. If you've drifted away, and you have lacked perseverance, and it is time for you to come back, I'd like you to do that. And I'd like to tell you how. Four steps based out of this passage. The first one is admit you're a sinner. That's it. Change your worldview and admit that you are a sinner, that you are not good enough, that you would be standing at the door knocking rather than having a place at the table. Like admit that you have displeased and offended a holy God with the way you have acted and who you are and what you desire and admit that you're not good enough. Admit that you're a sinner and then believe in Jesus as the savior of those sins. You admit you're a sinner and you believe in Jesus as your savior. Lord, I've done these and I know that you've done that. You died on the cross for my sins. You were buried for three days and you were raised to give me life. Admit your sinner, believe in Jesus as your savior. Repent of your sins is the third. Are you starting to understand the process? Lord, I'm a sinner, you saved my sins, and I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to be that person, Lord, but I want to follow after you. Like the term repent means to literally just turn away from, to set them aside and walk away. Like the Jewish people used to have an action in the temple in which they would lay down the sins and they would walk away from them, and that was repentance. Like admit you're a sinner, admit Jesus saved them, and just say, I don't want that anymore, Lord. And finally, receive. Receive Jesus as your Lord. Meaning, Lord, I, I don't want to sin anymore and I want to follow you. I want you to control me. I want to follow after 
you. I want you to make the decisions now, Lord. I want to follow after you and belong to you and bear your name and not my own. Admit, believe, repent, and receive. All based out of Romans 10.9. So, I'm going to give you a moment to do that now before we head into the rest of the night. I'm going to have Calvin bring up some music. This is not spiritual, okay? This is not, the Holy Spirit is not about to play through speakers or anything. I'm going to have this music come up as a simple way of helping you just stay focused, right? A simple way of you not having to hear pages ruffle and people breathing and coughing and like literally just to be with the Lord for a moment, okay? And I want to encourage you, if you, if you've decided to give your life over to Christ tonight, to pray to him these things, pray to him, give these things over to him. And all I'm asking you, I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to ask you to respond this way. But sometime tonight, you just find one of us with a name tag and just tell us. That's it. Just say, hey, I did that thing. Let us take care of it. Let us talk to you. Let us give you some next steps on how to live a life of Christ. And if you have just strayed, take this time to just come before the Lord again. Reaffirm, reaffirm your relationship with him. Just give you a couple minutes. Go ahead and do that now. Father, I pray for those that would give their lives over to you tonight for the first time. Those that you've opened their eyes, Lord, that you've led them to repentance and a knowledge of the truth. I pray, Father, that you would give them the boldness and courage, not only that it takes to follow after you, but to, to tell a leader tonight. Just mention it. Pray that you would just guide their lives, cause them to persevere the rest of their lives, Lord, glorifying you. Lord, I, I pray that you've changed lives here tonight. Whether it be those that have given their lives over to you or, or Lord, those that have just recommitted, heading into a new school year, heading into new things, knowing that they've strayed from you, Lord, but 
They've heard the gospel tonight. They've been reminded of it, Lord, and they know. They know who you are, Jesus. And I pray that you would set the tone for the rest of this semester, Father, that it wouldn't just be us gathering here to hear your word and spend time together, but it would be bringing others, Lord, to your table. It'd be bringing others to, to be here, to hear Lord, to commune together, to be with one another. Lord, I, I don't pray that you would grow this group in numbers. I pray you would grow this group in disciples. That you would deepen the disciples here, Lord. That you would send some of them out to the missions fields to bring others to know you. My Lord, I, I pray that you would find us humble to seek after you and all that you might do this semester. Thank you for everyone in this I pray that as we move into a time of fellowship, Lord, it would be glorifying you. It would be a time of laughter and rejoicing and getting to know one another and beginning to deepen these relationships. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.